but the, the sort of shadow side of that is I don't ever want to be seen as um, phoning it in, you know, like I, because of my identities, you know, I'm a cisgender straight white man, right? So I bring so much privilege into every space I walk into. And if I don't do the work and if I don't do my homework, then it just, it says volumes too about like that, you know, if I'm not good at what I'm doing on any given day, like that it has this compounding effect of like, there he goes again, right? Like of just like thinking he can just waltz in here and be mediocre and just have stuff handed to him. And so I never want people to be able to say that about me. Um, And so I feel like I really have to, have to make sure to put in the work so that that I think that it comes from a, a place of being afraid that maybe that is true about myself right that um that I have all this privilege that I don't understand and that I um am unable to reconcile with the way I sort of walk in the world Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Today's guest is Spencer Atkinson. Uh, Spencer and I know each other from uh, his days at Stanford University when he was leading the Men and Masculinities program. Uh, he now works at uh, UC Davis in the Career Counseling Career Department. And we had a really powerful conversation. I was going to say meaningful and powerful. Um, but one of the things that really stood out to me in this conversation um, was this new concept that he shared with me. And I, I've heard the concept before, but I didn't have a really good grasp of it. And it's called the Jahari window. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and describe it to you. Um, and I want you to imagine, um, and I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can actually go look it up. But you can just look up Jahari window, J-O-H-A-R-I window. And what it does is if you think about a quadrant, you know, me and my math love, right? But just think about a quadrant of four quadrants, right? And let's think across the top, if the sections are labeled known to me, that's the left, and not known to me, okay? And if you think about going down the side on the left side, you think of it as the top being known to others and the bottom being unknown to others, So if you imagine these four quadrants, if you think about the top left corner, the top left box, that would be the things that are known to me and also known to others. When we think about the mask, you think about if it's known to me and it's known to others, then it's what I'd gladly let people see maybe, the front of the mask, right? If you think about the top right-hand box is not known to me and known to others which are kind of like my blind spots, right? The things that I don't really notice, but people notice them, and I may not even know them, but people know them. That's the blind spots, right? If you think of the bottom left-hand corner, that is known to me and unknown to others. I think that's what we talk about was behind the mask. And then if you think about the bottom right-hand corner that is not known to me and unknown to others. Those are those things that I just don't know yet. People don't know. I don't know them. They're just the unknown. What a powerful concept. I hope you didn't get lost in the 
quadrants and this boxes. But I think when we think about the mask, it's a great conversation piece. How much of myself is known to me? Am I really self-aware? Do I know myself? Do I know what things make me frustrated, upset, angry, sad, worried? Am I operating from a high level of self-awareness or am I not very self-aware? I don't know what things I do and say that make people upset or make me upset. So all of a sudden I'm just all the time triggered. When we think about behind the mask, the things that are happening that I don't let people see, how much of the things we can call it hidden, but we can also just say they don't need to know. All right. I may not need to be hiding from you. I just, we don't talk about it. We don't have those kind of conversations. How much of myself do I get to freely express to the world and how many things are hidden behind the mask? Um, I think those things are really powerful. I, I think I tell him a story about when I was a teacher and having students who would point out things that I didn't think were really real. I'm like, do I do that? Do I act like that? Do I operate like that? And I think part of our work in this movement around the Million Mask movement is recognizing that how our windows look may look different in different places. Some places I may be really wide open and let people know a lot about me and very few things are hidden. And maybe more places, some places, I only, they only know a little bit about me and most of the things in my life are hidden. How the window can slide and move and be inter interactive as we engage with different people in our lives. One thing I'm really excited about in this conversation is that um, Spencer and I got to reconnect again, but also just having these deeper learnings of this movement, of this, of, of the each mask, meaning something. He actually uh, made a suggestion that we tried. We did the mask a little differently in the beginning. We actually shared the front and back together at the same time. Like we, So if, if you know how we normally do it, it goes one and front and then back and then back. It was a brand new experience. And I'm really excited about that. I think as we learn, as we continue to grow, um, as we continue to bring in new voices, I want these conversations to get more rich and to work for each man who shows up, each young man, older man, whatever age. And what you're going to hear next week probably is from some of our young men. Uh, definitely in the next couple of weeks. They, they've already started. Last week was their first week of their internship. Uh, they're already kind of getting things moving. They're already starting to open up a little bit. And we're excited to get them on the show really soon. And so uh, thank you for being a part of this show. If you hear anything that you like, please share it with somebody. I had my first call from a man who said, you know, I've been listening to your show. I didn't even know. And he found like it was really helping him. And that meant a lot to me. So if you're not, if you're not um, a person who shares a lot of things, maybe just go and give us a, a comment, feed, give us a subscribe. Let us know that, that these conversations are meaningful to you. Um, and we hope that you will make a mask. You can go to 100kmasks.com the number 100, kmasks.com, and make a mask as well. Be a part of this movement. We are excited that the new version of the, the, the web tool is coming out in the next week or so. We'll be giving you all the details, but thank you for being a part of this journey with us. And we look forward to uh, continuing to bring voices to this screen and to, this, to your ears uh, that we can make connections with people all over the world. Thank you for being a part of the Taking Off the Mask podcast. We'll see you soon. 
Spencer. I am so glad to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, likewise. It's great to be here with you, Chantin. Well, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself and tell folks about you. And uh, and then I look forward to getting into the mask with you. Sure. Well, so yeah, my name is Spencer Atkinson. Um, I am an educator of a variety of uh, types, I guess, uh, over the years. Um, started my career as a as a high school English and history teacher and did that for a while. And um, after after teaching for about six years, um, I moved out of the classroom. Um, I started to kind of figure that the work that I really cared about in terms of supporting young people's growth and development wasn't really necessarily about teaching them English language arts and literature. I didn't really care whether you could identify a participial phrase, you know. So I uh, so I moved out of the classroom and I moved into working in um, higher education and student affairs. Um, so what that means is basically I work in all the kind of parts of college life that happen outside of the classroom. Um, I do a little bit of teaching, but mostly that includes, you know, working with residence halls, working with advising. And so for the first several years, I worked in uh, residence life and university housing, um, working, living in residence halls and working with first year students all the way through seniors who were living on campus and helping them kind of process the experience um, of being you know, a college student um, and all that comes with that and all the sort of phases of life that that can happen during college, you know. And then um, most recently, the last two years, um, I'm currently serving as a, a career advisor um, at University of California in Davis. So um, in career advising, you know, I work with folks all across different kind of interests and areas, help them think about making a path for themselves. Um, and sometimes that means, how can I help you take the thing that you majored in and turn that into a career? Sometimes I, it's about like, you know, does the thing you majored in have anything to do with what you want to do for a living and how to help folks make meaning of that. And, um, so that's the stuff I'm doing now. And I really love having those conversations with folks. It's, you know, very holistic, right. It's all about kind of all the different parts of your identity that you bring to kind of what it means to, I don't know, monetize your skills and passions and strengths and values um, and turn those into something that you can, you know, make a life out of and make a living out of. So um, really love that work. I love being at UC Davis specifically, like our, our students are really cool. We have a, a pretty significant, um, compared to other universities I've worked at, um, pretty significant um, first generation uh, population of students, a lot of transfer students. So there's some folks coming in who um, don't necessarily have the like, you know, college experience that you see in movies of like, you know, I graduate from high school, I go straight into college, four years later, I got my degree, right? There's, we know that that's not the route that a lot of folks take. And so I get to get to work with those folks too. Um, and you and I met five, six years ago um, was the first time, I think, when we were, our paths intersected at Stanford University. Um where I was working for a couple of years and um, helped found the Stanford Masculinities Project there. And so that was kind of what brought our two worlds together at that time. And we we're trying to help kind of process through the experience of men's gender socialization and um, how to help folks kind of unpack all the stories they had been told about what it means to be a man and to perform manhood and, um, and then how that intersects with gender-based violence and um, how to help 
men be better allies to folks of all genders who are experiencing um, sexualized violence. And um, so we did some of that work there, um, kind of continued intersecting um, here and there. When I, I don't think you, I don't know if you remember, but uh, you did a the mask workshop at um, High Tech High down in San Diego, and um, yeah. I that was the first place that I taught high school, and so I was. Uh, I went down there for the conference and then you happened to be there and it was like, you know, we had both flown down from, you know, Northern California to end up in San Diego on the same day at the same conference. So yeah, these moments, you know, where we keep kind of finding ourselves in the same space and I'm always glad to, to be in community with you, man. So I'm happy to be here. Man, I'm so glad. And I, I'm so glad you're here, first of all, and so excited about even the stuff you just talked about right now, because a couple of things in there, I think that was deeper learning conference. Yep, that's it. That was Deeper Learning Conference. At, at, and uh, if you've ever heard of High Tech High, they have a graduate school, but they have a bunch of high schools. Uh, and in this big auditorium room, the big forum, they have this big-ass fan. And literally, that's what it's called. It has a label on it, big-ass fan. So I remember my first time in there, and I was like, does that say big-ass fan? It literally, on the fan, is written big ass fan. So, yeah. yeah, so, and not only that, this is a, you know, that's the, and when I went there, I was just actually, I spoke at their commencement this year, oh, their, right. the graduate school's commencement and the fans weren't working. So it took away one of my jokes that I had already lined up for the, for my speech. And I was like, come on, how are you going to mess up my joke with, <laughs> you going to mess up my speech? I can't even talk about the fan here. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was amazing. But I think a lot of the things you talked about, I think, you know, working in career, what, what do you all call it? Career services, career counseling? Yeah, career our counseling? center is called the Internship and Career Center. But yeah, career services, yeah. career coaching. Yeah, yeah. I think you know I, I owe a lot to folks working in career services. You know, at Cal Poly, I was a I was a six year I was on a six year plan. <laughs> you know, I was an engineering major, but I wanted to work in construction, and so I I was in those conversations with people who were helping me to figure out how could I still you know like passionately do the work I want to be doing in all the opportunities that were out there. And, um, and I was telling you just rightly before we started is that, you know, one of my most memorable internships, I had lots of internships and co-ops as well, but, uh, was at Walt Disney Imagineering and it was, you know, I came into the office and someone was like, Hey, they knew me. They knew what I was looking for. They knew that I was high energy. They knew, and they connected me with this opportunity to work at, at Walt Disney. And, um, man, that was, uh, the, the most amazing project I could still probably say I've ever worked on the animal kingdom project. And um, yeah, so thank you for the work, you know, thank you for having those conversations, the, you know, asking the hard questions and for all you do to support young people, young adults. I mean, they're adults, right? So they're young, yeah. but young adults in that, that scary phase of their life and that trend, pivotal point of their life. Um, Cause it wasn't for Donna Davis. Her name was Donna Davis. I'll never forget Donna Davis. I don't know Shout if she listened to, to my Donna. show. Shout out to Donna Davis for hooking me up with that paper. She was like, here, check this out. And I was like, Walt Disney, how am I going to be? What, what, what character I'm going to be? You see how big I am? <laughs> she was like, no. She said, look, look at the, read it, this description. I was like, and I was like, oh my God, that would be amazing. And so, so for anyway, all that to say, yeah. thank you. And I think we can probably will hit on the Stanford Masculinities Project because I think that. You know, I had so much hope when I met you in that project you were starting and the how quickly hope can get doused when the systems aren't in place to serve the, the projects that are created. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a whole, a whole nother conversation. But 
I think it is connected to this work around masks, right? Like if we're going to mm-hmm. give space for, and we're going to give lip service to this idea that we want to have healthy men in our communities, our societies, we want to educate um, them not only to be uh, good academics and have good scholarship, right? But we want them to be good humans, mm-hmm. right? I think it's one thing to be like, have it on the website, and right? And it's another thing when you have to say, you have to invest in this. Like, if it was easy to do, we would already have it set up and it would be automatic, but it takes work, you know? And yeah. so all that to say, that's why we do this podcast, right? Yes, we sir. eventually will get people who who don't recognize that men can have these conversations or that men are, that men are willing to have these conversations. I think yeah. some men are even shocked that other men are having these conversations. And so for everyone listening, I just appreciate you all. And, you know, as you know, this is not an interview. So Spencer and I are going to get to just share our masks. We, we've met before and we get to connect again and talk about masks. And, I, and I'm excited about this time together. Me too. So you, as a guest, you get to decide who goes first. Either you go first or I go first and we'll just uh, and we'll alternate front to front and then back to back. So uh, you get to choose who goes first. Yeah, you know what I was thinking? So I listened to a bunch of episodes and I kind of was trying to decide, like, what do people do most often? Is there a benefit to bo- to either one? I don't think I've heard anybody do this on your show yet. Could we like uh, both hold them up at the same time? Yeah, yeah. The front first. The front. Yeah. First, the well, front I got back. them both. I have them side by side. So, how do you want to do it? Okay. Is yours uh, on? Like, actually see. on? Well, let's. We'll, we'll, let, oh no! Let's no. Let's do. We'll do the front. We'll show the front, and then we'll okay. show the back like that. Okay. Okay. I'm. I'm down. Okay. I'm down. Front. Ready. <laughs> Here we go. Miss One, Anna. two, three. Okay. Okay. I gotta get my light right. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I did kind of like a oh, theater man. mask kind of a look, you know. I did Whoa. like a, a Cyclops wrestler yeah. match, something. I don't know what he is, but oh, I got that's it. what I was feeling today. And those that's are the words. Okay. And then there's the words. Got it. Okay, that's the front. Yeah. So, then, and if in case you couldn't read it, it said smart, prepared, and clever. I think you said smart, mm. funny, and what was the third one? Oh, funny, hardworking, and serious. And serious, okay, yeah. Funny, hardworking, and serious, yeah. Great. Okay. Can you see it? It was trying to, yeah, was I got trying it. to focus. There we go. Okay, now you want to see the backs? Ready? Want to do the back? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Three. Okay, so mine says lonely, aspiring parent, and we can get into that. And then I have a little bit of explanation about why there's a question mark there. You got stress, Mm. fear of failure, and quitting. Yeah. Am I good enough? Man. So I think I kind of just broke all the rules in terms of how that's supposed to work, but we could get into kind of where all that stuff came from now, I guess. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I think, you know, one... I'm excited. Thank you for offering that idea. So I, so maybe, yeah, where where the the mask is a metaphor is just this idea of things that we gladly let people see, and things that we don't usually let people see, right? So uh, the the big reveal, you know, can happen at any time, and uh, and I and I'm always trying to be really present because I, I make 
massive for every show. So I always yeah. try and be like, what's really present right now? You know, um, so these are the ones that are really present right now. So yeah, yeah. do you want to you want to talk about any of yours sure. first? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, I was, the other reason why I was thinking it'd be fun to do it like that is because like, you know, I'm sure you've done this hundreds of times at this point. And, um, you know, when you do it the same way each time, it, it's really easy for it to be habitual, right? Even if you're making effort to be present, like, you know, sometimes it it requires a little bit of shakeup in order to kind of see it as novel again. So um, I don't know if yeah. you achieved that or not, but uh, that was what I was hoping would happen. I think it's great. I think it's great. I think it's great. I think it, you know, no, yeah, I think in, in that timing, it's less time to either change it while we're, you know, while we're, while, we're, while, while you're talking or I'm talking, be like, I'm going to change that one, right? It's less opportunity for, uh, to like trying to prepare how to connect your words to my words, right? So it's like, okay, okay. And then we just take it in. I, I think at, at this summer, our Social Emotional Leadership Academy young men are actually working on new parts of the podcast. So I think I've never done it. This would be a great way to think about it because they're going to be on the show. And we're trying to figure out, well, how do we have them share, right? Because I think for them sometimes, you know, actually, really interesting, really interesting you just did that. Because, okay, so, you know, when the podcast originally started, there were pieces of paper that were balled up, right? They were, when you open it, it's the front and the back, right? And I would have them open them up and then look at them. They would look at the front, like, you know, the front of the mask and back of the mask. Um when we evolved the, po- the, 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 the the campaign to become the Million Mask Movement, we knew that we had to mail these around the country, right? So how do we create a front and a back on a postcard? And we realized that they can't be on a postcard. It can't be like a front and a back because you have to have the postage on one side and you have to have the thing on the other. So I'm looking for a stack of masks right here because I always have masks on my desk. So what ended up happening was when, when people started mailing cards in, and this is actually the one they just received last week. So, for example, this is what the postcard looks like. Mm. But the mask had to begin being all together. Yeah. And I, and I was kind of nervous when we started doing the live workshops with them all together because I was like, well, they're going to see both words all at the same time. And I was like, well, why am I worried about that? I mean, right. whether they flip it or not, I mean, there's something to be something to textile to flip in, right? There's something yeah. about that, but, but yeah. So uh, this is how actually they show up in workshops when you just look at both together. And I think when my eyes, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm being really, if I, if I can be really clear, I think my eyes may go to the back first. Mm-hmm. If there's a picture, like this one has a really colorful picture, right? So there's like a picture, and I like really want to, I want to get real faster, right? I want to get to the real part fast, right? Yeah. Not that the front's not real. I just know that the front is limited, right? So, yeah, man, you shook it up. You shook you shook it up, all right. So let's, that's good. That's good. Let's well, it. it's interesting, you know, thinking about what you were what you were just saying too, of like um, where your mind goes first, and like what draws your attention, and you know whether one is feels more real or more like substantive than the other. You know, because I was thinking about like I, yeah. I like I said, I was listening to some former episodes. One of the words on the front of my mask is prepared like i want to make sure if i'm going to show up to you know if you're going to invite me to your show i'm going to listen to as much of the past episodes as i can get my hands on so i can be ready you know um and so i did my homework and i was listening and and i think it was um 
think it was Malcolm, like re- one of the recent episodes, Malcolm Dido. Um, yeah, yeah. Who he was talking about, like you, you guys had a great conversation about this idea of like they're not separate things, right? Like the front and the back, they are either in service to each other or they are kind of they're almost like they're two sides of the same coin in a lot of cases, right? And so. It's not, so actually having them side by side even just reinforces that further. It's like all of these are present and they're all important parts of who I am. Um, It's just a question of how much I let in other people to see them also. That's it. That's it. Which one? That's exactly right. And and, and how many times do somebody see in part of the back, but you think they're not? Yeah. And then they ask you about it and you're like, like, hey, is everything okay? And you're like, I'm talking about, I'm fine. But they can see it. They can, they can see part of the back slipping off. We tell, I tell them in the in the in the image, it's like you're wearing this mask, and the mask starts falling off, and they're like, whoa, what's happening mm-hmm. behind there? And you're like, you're talking about, and you tighten the mask back up, and you pretend yeah. like they didn't see what they saw, but they saw it. You may even get mad at people. Like I've had people get mad, like students get mad at me. I'm like, hey, what's going on with you today? Just talking about, why are you up in my business? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not in your business. You just got this look on your face that looks that something's up, right? And they don't think you can see it because they used to keep this mask up so well that when people start seeing behind it, they're like, they feel exposed or they feel like yeah. pressure to like be back to where they were, right? And yeah. I think that happens with adults too. I mean, have, adults do it all, a lot, right? Well, and I think you probably have this experience, you know, in this podcast, like this is a controlled conversation. I'm opting in to revealing these things about myself. I'm sharing them with you. I, I came, I have mental kind of space to prepare to share these things. Very different from when like it slips out and you're like, I wasn't ready. You know, that, that wasn't something I wanted the world to see. And, and now it's out there and now I got to backpedal on that somehow, you know, and I got I to gotta tuck that away quick before anyone else notices. And that's a completely different, that's a scary kind of dangerous feeling place to be when it happens by accident, right? Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee. Have, do, have you heard of these new um, audio apps like Clubhouse and Green Room mm-hmm. and Twitter, Twitter Spaces? You heard of them? These are audio apps, right? And what I've seen in these, which has been so... I'm a, I'm a people watcher. And so on these apps, you can't watch people, but you can hear people. And you just... It's almost like being in high school again almost sometimes. You're like, oh, people don't know that their 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 words are speaking volumes about who they are, right? Mm. About what they value, about what like I, <laughs> the, the the most common phrase I hear there is, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> like, right? Because it's all voice, right? I can't see you, but I want to say something. And so they'll say, sorry, sorry for interrupting you, and they keep going. Like they're they're not like saying sorry to interrupt you. Let me let you finish. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like but you hear the way when you like and I'm sitting back just watching, listening with watching with my ears, right? And you're like, well, that's hilarious. Like you, you you didn't mean sorry for interrupting you because you were basically saying I'm gonna interrupt you anyway, but let me just say this word in front of it so that you at least makes it easier to deal with, right? Um, but yeah, but that's that's right. When they slip mm-hmm. out, when those masks pop off, right? When we don't craft it where we say, huh, in our workshops, people don't know what they're going to be asked to do unless they've seen the workshop before. So we ask them to write it, and then you just see all the nerves happening, right? But what we know is that 
when I when we collect them or when we do the next piece with them, there's a lot of stirring, right? Because now they're like, oh, my words are out there. Those words that I just came up with in the last 35 seconds, 40 seconds, now they're out there. And now, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Right. And then what they what they do, what they realize when they first look at someone else's mask, they're like, oh, wow. Right. Because you realize that either somebody went way deeper than you would have gone or somebody has similar words as yours or maybe somebody didn't go as deep as you go, you went. But you know that there's some other words out there that people are dealing with things that you mm-hmm. couldn't even imagine. Right. And that's what we see. Well, and that's like the the powerful exercise is that everyone has something behind the mask um, that they're carrying around and they're every single day walking around with and, you know, feeling the burden of that. And maybe they have folks they can share it with, you know, like I'm really fortunate. I, you know, this, I actually sat down and talked about my mask with my partner. Cause I was like, help me think about what's going to go on here. Like, you know, you, you see me, better than I see myself sometimes. So help me understand like what's, what's behind the mask that maybe I don't even know is back there. And, um, and, you know, but not everybody has that kind of a confidant or a intimate, um, relationship that they can lean on to, to do that. And they just have to hold it in, you know, and, and try to deal with it themselves. And so, yeah, I, I feel really, really lucky. I was sitting there talking through this with my partner. Um, and, um, so yeah, the, you know, that, that idea about being prepared is like, that's one that I definitely, I want to make sure. And it comes to like from a lot of different places, some of it and all the things I was thinking about this too, on the front of the mask, all those things have like a, there's sort of a shadow side to those as well. You know, the, mm-hmm. so I, I wrote prepared. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons is like, I want to make sure that, um, you know, that I do, I do the work and I show up and I'm like ready to go so that it helps facilitate what everyone else is doing. But the, the sort of shadow side of that is I don't ever want to be seen as um, phoning it in, you know, like I, because of my identities, you know, I'm a cisgender straight white man. Right. So I bring so much privilege into every space I walk into. And if I don't do the work and if I don't do my homework, then it just, it says volumes too about like that, you know, if I'm not good at what I'm doing on any given day, like that it has this compounding effect of like, there he goes again, right? Like of just like thinking he can just waltz in here and be mediocre and just have stuff handed to him. And so I never want people to be able to say that about me. Um, And so I feel like I really have to have to make sure to put in the work so that that I think that it comes from a, a place of being afraid that maybe that is true about myself, right? That um, that I have all this privilege that I don't understand and that I um, am unable to reconcile with the way I sort of walk in the world. Um, and I, so I, I often will over-prepare because I don't want to be, I don't want to be caught off guard um, by those things. You know what I mean? Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for, man. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I, I think that when I when I think about like hardworking for myself and like serious, like I I have high expectations for myself, right? If I if I show up late to something or I miss a deadline or whatever, like there's nobody who can be harder on me than I am again for myself, right? Like no matter what anybody says to me, I've already said ten times worse to myself, you know. Um, and so I feel it even, I feel it more because I've already said it to myself. I know that like, 
you know, it's oftentimes when you mess up something, you may not know you messed up. Then that's a new one. Like, well, wow, I didn't know I did that. But then when that stuff I've already known I messed up on and then you have to get the the hammer put down, you're like, oh, man, you know, like when like if a donor, like one of the things as a nonprofit leader, like when donors, they'll call or they'll say, hey, you know, I didn't get a receipt for that thing. Right. And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel horrible. And I feel like like they I, they and most of people who are going to call you are people who care. People who don't care, they're just not giving you any more money. You know what I'm saying? Like, they'll just be like, I'm never giving them any money anymore. They didn't send me a thank you. They didn't send me a whatever. And sometimes we're just moving so fast or we forget or, mm. you know, just overlooked. And, man, and when it happens, it's like some of them, some of them I'm knowing about. In my mind, I'm like, okay, I gotta, we got to get a thank you card out to this person. And I'm like, we got to get this, right? It should take like five seconds to just do it, right? And I'm like, okay, I got to print the cards. I don't want to give like a generic card from the store. I want to write. <laughs> and then by that, all that time waiting to get it perfect, I get a call. Hey, Shanti, you know, um, I guess I sent a donation a couple of weeks ago. I just want to make sure you got it. <laughs> yes, I know you got it. I know you sent it. I, and then I'm like, I'm already, because I've already been like trying to, in my mind, get it done, you know? And yeah. those are the ones where you just like, oh, I feel like, I'm, I'm like, I feel totally exposed, right? I feel like, and then I'm feeling how to, how to defend myself and how do I defend my organization? How do I defend my, my, my good intentions? Right. And so when you spoke about that, it really resonated that idea of that. Yeah. I don't want people, I want people to know that, that, that I, I, I do work hard. I do value their support. I do value you know, all that, you know? So yeah. Thank you, you, you have hard working on your mask a lot. Yeah. It, it comes up almost every time I'm curious. I've always been curious, like where that work ethic comes from, you know, like the hard working is clearly something that you have sort of adopted as like a core part of your identity. Um, I, yeah, I'm just curious kind of where that, where you think that comes from for you. I, I, I'm almost positive. I'm, I'm still working a lot of these details out. Like when I was seven, as I was told, I was the man of the house. So at seven, I was supposed to know what it meant to be a man. I was to be responsible. I was taking care of my siblings. I had two siblings. I was cooking. I was cleaning. I was washing clothes. I was folding dishes, washing dishes, folding clothes. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, in, I was domesticated. Like you know, what I'm saying, I was, I was in charge of the house. Like everybody who came to my house knew Chauncey was in charge. Like you know. In, in the house, right? Like my, my siblings listened to me. They knew they had to listen to me because I was in charge. And I think that it, it wasn't no other option. I mean, I think at seven, my uncle, my uncle was the one who told me, you got to be the man of the house. And this is my favorite uncle. This is my uncle who was like, would always like pick me up and throw me in the air. Like that uncle, like just a deep connection. And after, I remember after when he came over that one time, he was like, I can't pick you up anymore. I'm like, What? What's, what do you mean? You can't. And I didn't have a father. My father died before I was born. So having my uncle connection was all that mattered. It was everything, right? And to have him be like, I can't pick you up anymore. He was like the strongest person I knew in my life, right? So that strong presence was like, I can't. No, you can't. This this, this connection can't happen anymore. It was really difficult. So I think mm-hmm. him, like at that point, telling me I had to be a man of the house. Mm-hmm. I had to be strong and tough and responsible. I couldn't. I, I was just a seven. What do you, what do you know at seven? You know what I'm saying? I'm barely figuring out this boy thing, you know? 
you know, like what, what, what's his, what's his man job? Like, and I think it was always not feeling enough. I think that's what came up on the back today too. Like, like at that age, being the, having the belief that I'm not enough, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be responsible. I'm supposed to always have it all together. I'm supposed to not really have any feelings. I can't talk about feeling like confused and sad and all. And there's no space for that. Just take care of everybody else. Take care of everybody else. Take care of everybody else. And I think I didn't have a place where I felt like somebody was really taking care of me, right? Like I was responsible for other people already. I think it's probably why I don't have kids right now, maybe. I think a lot of it, I ask myself a lot that a lot. I'm like, I really, I feel, I feel worried about the branch name in my, you know, my, my father's and my grandfather's leg, leg of this family, branch family. Like my brother has a kid, right? But I don't have a child. And so it's like, what does that mean? Hmm. Does that, that leg right there just end? Does the, does, does the family tree right there just stop at Ashanti in that leg, right? It's like, I feel that sometimes. I feel it, I feel hmm. it often. More than I talk about. I don't actually, I don't think I've ever written it on, on a mask, but I feel it coming up right now, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm like exhausted. Like, <laughs> I've already raised kids. Like, like you know, I, I want my own, but when I think about, a baby, I think about hard work because I remember how many diapers I've already changed and formulas I've already mixed and bottles I've already, I've, I've, I think about the hard work, you know what I'm saying? And it started when I was seven. So it's like, now, yeah, and I wish I could be, I wish I was like, I could be over it. And I'm, I'm like, I'm really hesitant to like bring life into this world where I'm not willing to fully do all the hard work it takes. Yeah. So that's a, uh, I think that's where the hard working comes up all the time because it is one that I can't escape. It's like I thought I think a lot of new words sometimes, but I'm like, that's one that anyone who knows me, if they really know me, they know there's like I work hard, maybe sometimes too hard, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, well, and it, it you know, it comes right back to that like the front and the back are just inextricably a part of one another, right? Like, and yeah the things that kind of motivate us in our goals and in our, our kind of what drives us in our lives, like often have a lot to do with like yeah. our fears um, and trying not to turn into the worst part of our potential, you know, um, think about yeah. that. I, the um, Oprah just uh, like co-authored a, a book. Um, I think, I think his name is, um, I forget his name, but, um, it's a, it's called what happened to you. And it's like conversations with folks about, um, mm. trauma. Um, and sort of the really? name, the, the title what? comes out of this, like, you know, a lot of time when somebody's acting out or something's not going right, we say what's wrong with you when really we should ask what happened to you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so mm. they were talking about this idea, right. Of like so much, huh? That's a new book. Yeah, yeah, it just came out. Yeah, it's a new book. It's a new. Okay, okay. Yeah, and um, mm. they were talking about this idea of like how much our present day motivations are are really um, sourced from our 
our trauma and our like really painful experiences, right? Of like making sure that I never go back to that place or I never experience that again. And the way I do that is that I, I work harder or I, you know, I double down on the things that make me safe and make me feel successful. And, um, so it's, it's interesting because they can be really powerful motivators and can produce really positive outcomes in our lives and in our communities. But, um, such a, such a, a, you know, it's a, it's a mixed blessing in terms of like having to come from those really, those really painful experiences sometimes. Yeah. There's a book, um, actually you have it on the desk, I think there's a book that I'm, that I'm reading that I've written, um, uh, two books that are really powerful around that. What happened to you, um, is this one, um, mm. it's called, it didn't start with you by Mark Rowland. And um, I've listened, I listened to the audio book already. Now I'm reading the book cause there's a lot of stuff in there. I just couldn't capture from the audio book. Um, but I needed to write it. I need to write in the book, but just, man. And uh, yeah, it's like how inherit the, the tagline is how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how we in the cycle. Yeah. Right. Like what happened to you? Right. Like what, what are the things there's a book called the boy who was raised by like a dog. Mm-hmm. And that book blew me away, right? But it's, it was sad in a lot of ways, but really, it's really connected to the work. Like, if you were raised horribly, like, like, what, why, why are we shocked that you behave right. in so many peculiar ways? If you were treated worse than some people treat animals, why are we shocked that you would operate as, like, not fully human? Yeah. You know, and I think it's the work we see with our young men in our work. You know, it's like giving men, boys space to like talk about what happened to you. Like, what what causes you to do that? Why are you lashing out? Why are you why do you why are you angry? Why are you why do you why are you treating me like that? You know, like as a teacher, you probably saw it. Probably kids acting out or lashing out. Like I was always clear. Like when a kid yelled at me, like usually. I'm like, hey, 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 why are you yelling at me? I've never yelled at you. Well, you shouldn't be bothering me. Well, I just asked you to move your seat over there. Like, but yelling at me is doesn't, I've never disrespected you like that. And really like getting back to human, right? Sometimes when they're lashing out, they're, they're fighting against something, right? They don't, for whatever the reason is in that moment, that lash out is coming from something. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My my intent wasn't to create harm. My intent was to regulate the class or do blah, blah, blah. And now you're yelling at me and now we're having a battle, right? And really like sometimes those cla- those can happen privately outside in front of the class. Sometimes they have to happen in front of everybody, right? So, you know, and having those, those conversations and trying to understand what did I miss? What did I say that created this trigger that caused you to, okay, right? And it's the mask, right? I can't mm. tell that you're going through. And I had kids say, well, I'm having a bad day. You should have known. Mm. Well, okay. Tell me, tell me more about that. Like, how would I have known you should, you having a bad day? Well, you should have saw it. Like, hmm, no. Came in here the same way you did every other day. I do what I do every day. I tell people to do this, do that. And today you cause this, right? So I think sometimes people think that, that you can even see what's happening on the yeah. on the mask. And, and, and sometimes it's really impossible to see. 
Yeah, I mean, you're bringing me back to my my teaching days, you know, thinking about, like I said, I spent six years in the classroom. And one of the reasons I think that ultimately I decided that wasn't the space that made sense for me as an educator is like, there are all these structures and barriers in the way of us just being humans sharing space together. Um, you know, one of the things that I was really intentional about, like, um, I always went by my first name as a teacher. They never called me Mr. So-and-so. Um, and I, you know, when I started, um, teaching, I was at high tech high, which is a pretty alternative kind of a school culture. Um, it's a place where going by your first name was pretty standard. wasn't this crazy thing. And then I moved into a much more traditional school environment in Wisconsin, in rural Wisconsin, um, when I um, followed my partner out to UW-Madison to do her PhD. And while she was working on her doctorate, I was teaching in these towns of like 4,000 people, 5,000 people. Um, and I was this, this lunatic from California who had all these, all these weird progressive ideas about education. And, you know, I would go by my first name and everyone would look at me like I had, I had grown another pair of arms, you know? And so, but things like that are, you know, it's like, okay, there's a, there's a power differential here. There's a power structure here. And that prevents me from just being another human in community with you as humans who are doing some learning and, and working on a project together. And those things get in the way at least as much as they facilitate anything. And, you know, when you're talking about students who are carrying around trauma, generational trauma, experiencing food and housing insecurity, experiencing addiction at home, like, and then they come into the room and you, you know, have this arbitrary expectation that all of that is going to be left at the door and they're going to be able to just like behave themselves and follow orders. Um, it just doesn't work like that. It's not how humans operate. And it was really... Yeah. Going back to kind of the, the idea of like, you know, recognizing my own identity and making sure that I work hard to be prepared. Like if I don't, I have a good friend, my friend, Billy Liebernick, who is a teacher um, in the East Bay. And, and he said, you know, as a, as a white man in this space, like if I'm not really good at my job, then it just makes me a multiplier on my students' negative experience of the system of schooling, Right. It's just one more piece of evidence that the system is actually not designed to lift me up and educate and, and help me grow, but it's just holding me in my place. Um, and so, you know, being a part of those systems, um, after a while, it, it, had, it was really hard to decide, you know, on the one hand, I feel like I'm a positive influence on the system by being a part of the, the faculty and being able to present an alternative way of engaging with young people. But on the other hand, like there's only so much that you can do from within that system. Um, And by being there and by implicitly endorsing the way that schooling is done to kids, um, a lot of the time you then just become a part of the problem. And so that, you know, ultimately is kind of what moved me away from classroom teaching because I just felt like the the systems and the structures were just too much to overcome even my my best efforts and and I didn't want to be a part of beating down kids basically which is what a lot of schools do mm. yeah man isn't that the truth and, and maybe 
as you think about that part, right? The what you saw as schools as in K twelve, and then what you have experienced now that you've been in college for these last things almost equal amount of six years, almost yeah. right, almost, a little bit more maybe, yeah. or maybe not. Um, what, what do you see a difference? Do you see? I mean, there's obviously more freedom when you're in college, right? But is there? Do you see colleges also sometimes creating that? beat down system you know yeah yeah absolutely i mean there's so much around like acculturation that is expected of of students when they come to campus you know there's a little there's a little bit of kind of um indoctrination into like into college life that happens like orientation programs and dorm life and all that stuff is really like designed to get you on board with like this is what we do here you know like you're one of us now and so these Mm -hmm. this is the way we act there's some of that is, is helpful and is, is positive, um, like, uh, systems for coping in terms of like, you know, you're learning new independence as an adult, you know, you're away from your family and your support system often for the first time. And, um, so in that sense, like those, those, those efforts at acculturation are, are useful and valuable, but I think where it becomes kind of maladaptive is when it's like, in order to be one of us, you can't be what you used to be, right? And you have to mm-hmm. leave part, big parts of your identity and your culture at home in order to be able to fit in here. When I was working at Stanford, we saw that all the time. It was like, you know, that in order to be a Stanford student, uh, you couldn't be whatever else you were. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and they would, it would go both ways for a lot of students. I would hear they would go home and visit family and they wouldn't tell people where they went to school. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I go to, I go to school like up in the Bay Area, you know, uh, and they just wouldn't really mention the name in school because they'd get so much shit from their from their family and their community back home. Like, oh, you think you're fancy now you go to Stanford, right? You're not you're not you're too good for us. Right. And so there was this constant tension for those students. And I think at a lesser, to a lesser degree at less prestigious universities, but it's true, I think, for a lot of folks, particularly, you know, if you're coming, you know, the first generation and you're first person in your family to go to college and, you know, you go back home and then, you know, it's like, oh, you're too good for us now. Um, and some families figure out how to reconcile that better than others. Um, but I think there is definitely part of that in the culture of, of universities. And one of the conversations I get to have as a, as a career coach um, when I'm talking to students is, you know, how do you balance like family expectations and your own aspirations and dreams for yourself? And is there a way to, to reconcile those things? If there's not, like how do you prioritize one over the other? And what is that going to mean for you and your relationships and your community? And, um, you know, I, I know I've heard you talk about your experience of like choosing to leave this prestigious and, and, um, lucrative career in engineering and go into public education. I bet you got all kinds of side eye for that, that choice. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who still don't understand what you do. Am I right? Yeah. I think the, the biggest difference was how people respond to you. And because the biggest question people ask here in the Bay area, Oh, so what do you do? Ah, so where do you work? Right. So like when you're, well, I'm an engineer. I work for this engineer. I work for this company. I work for this engineering firm. I work for this, construction for like oh yeah my project was this project over here oh yeah you saw that one one by the dumbarton bridge yeah that one oh yeah sun microsystem right you get to name like you get to be like oh i'm working on this thing in the world that oh you haven't heard about it oh you should take a look you know but when you tell me you're a teacher 
it, it's almost like, oh, that's so what, what a noble, what a noble thing, you know? <laughs> what a what a noble thing you're doing, right? Like you're like, yeah, I'm just over here helping some kids, right? It's almost like that idea that it uh you see it, you see it, and you feel it in the in just in the conversation. They don't, I mean, no one's like. Oh, that's horrible! You're a teacher. No one says that, and they may not even think that. But the way, the way, the way that is definitely a difference. I definitely felt much more boost of ego when I told people I was an engineer and their response than when I told them I was a teacher. You could feel it. It was it was palatable, you know. Mm-hmm. More yeah, of like, know. oh wow, thank you for wow, that's such a so so great of you for doing that. Someone like your job is of service to sacrifice your own life. I think people know, I mean, people are smart enough to know teachers don't get paid enough. They get paid not a lot. Um, they get treated poorly. They get blamed for why education is a mess. We don't blame the people in the big offices who make the big checks, who are making a lot of the policies. We don't blame them. We blame the teachers because we say, well, it's the teacher's job to make sure kids learn. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I remember when... Before I heard former President Obama talk about parents and their responsibility, I was always saying, why is no one holding parents accountable? Well, because mm-hmm. parents are voters and you don't want to make parents mad. But I'm like, I can't make a kid do homework. <laughs> when I come to class, like I am not a cartoon. You want me to be jumping around and dancing around? And the teachers that get highlighted are the ones who can stand in front of the class and do the nay-nay and get like on top of a table and get kids dancing. I don't dance. I don't dance. I don't sing. <laughs> I don't rap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I know math, right? Yeah. And if I, I'm supposed to make math so exciting that people who hate math are supposed to love math. And if I don't, then something's wrong with me. And I'm like, what's, what's, what's wrong with this picture? I knew this as a first-year teacher. And I just kept trying to figure it out. But my me starting ever forward was me trying to reach students, knowing that I'm not going to be here. I I don't have the energy to try and entertain you, to keep moving around fast enough to keep you, keep you, you know, kids, 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 kids raised in front of their TVs. Now, when I was in teaching, those are kids raised in front of TVs. Now kids are raised in front of computers. How does a teacher keep up with the energy that it takes to keep the the volume of of, of stimulation? dopamine keeping kids engaged i mean shoot that's yeah. why they're that's why they become famous and become, become viral because they they found a way to be animated like <laughs> i think i'm funny sometimes but i don't think I, I don't think i can keep being funny all you know eight, eight hours a day like you know what i'm saying i got one good funny one in me a day maybe maybe two <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> I got a couple of good jokes in there, maybe every day. But you mean like six different classes of 150 kids? I got to keep all of them entertained the whole day. Like that just becomes uh, out of control. So anyway, mm-hmm. I, I say all that to say, yeah, it's very big difference from the engineering yeah. and to the teaching. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you bring up you bring up dopamine too. I was thinking the other day I was hearing somebody talk about. Um, Oh, it was um, Gloria Steinem. I was hearing an interview with Gloria Steinem and she was talking about um, in that one of the things that produces, you know, oxytocin, right? The feel-good hormone, right? Um, One of the things that produces oxytocin is connection with human beings, right? Other humans. And and that that empathy, that empathic response creates oxytocin. And she had said, you know, that, that the scientific research says that actually 
you can't do that through a screen. Um, there's, there's no way to kind of create that empathic response virtually like this. Um, you can get plenty of dopamine, right. From, you know, I got another like on my, on my Instagram. I got, I got a hundred thousand likes. So I'm, you know, I got that dopamine hit. Um, but I can't get Mm. an oxytocin hit from, from a screen. Um, and, and we think sometimes we think they're the same thing, right? Like the, the dopamine hit makes me feel good. Um, and, uh, but that it isn't, there can't be a replacement for that, that human connection that, that only happens really when you physically share space with folks. I've been thinking about that a lot. That's why, you know, lonely is on the back of my, on the back of my mask is like, I am a, I'm a people person. I, I need to be sort of sharing space with folks, physical space. Um, I, I love physical affection and just, you know, human contact. And I wish I could just give you a hug, Ashanti, you know, I want to just be there with you. And, um, and so even the like opportunity to have technology that allows us to have, you know, engage our intellects and to have a sort of a conversation verbally um, doesn't, doesn't compensate fully right for the the lack of community that I know a lot of folks have been feeling for the last year and a half but um I'm definitely feeling it a lot and it's something that you know I before we started recording I mentioned you know I only just moved to this area a little less than two years ago with my partner and and then the pandemic happened just a few months later and so I really didn't have the chance to create a new community in this place where I live um and so it's been really challenging and I know there's lots of research out there about like men especially are terrible at making intimate friendships. Um, and that there's like a, they actually used to, before the current pandemic, they would use the term epidemic of loneliness when it comes to men um, because mm-hmm. we don't know how to build yeah. intimate friendships, you know, and that that's something I definitely experience in my life. And um I feel that loneliness like pretty, pretty heavy. You know, I'm a huge extrovert and I will love, I'll spend time with anybody that'll have me um, just because if like I get energy from being around people, but, but I also recognize that like that's sort of a quantity over quality kind of a, kind of an approach sometimes where it's like, yeah, I'll go hang out with you and have a beer. But like at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily fill my heart up to have those kinds of interactions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I, and I think when we talk about the loneliness and I imagine it, I think sometimes people, I just recently I've heard this idea, the difference between, well, not the difference, but the concept of difference between uh, aloneness and loneliness, right? Yes. I think some people need alone time just to think and just be by themselves. But the loneliness is part where even with, the, outside of your choice, Right that there's no one that's deeply connecting, right? And I think a lot of times I've heard parents say to kids, you can't be lonely. You got, you got your brothers and sisters in there, right? Like, cause I think they confuse being alone. You're not alone. It's very different than the feeling of loneliness, that there's no connection even, right? People are there, yes. But if you don't have that connection, then you're, you, you can definitely be feeling lonely in a place full of people. Right. And it's about the connection. Right. It's like I got a bunch of people in this room, but I'm not I'm not feeling the connection and the, I'm not feeling the oxytocin connection to anybody here. So and, and the other people on the outside who don't understand the difference will be like, what are you talking about? 
It's like 100 people. It's like 12 people. It's like you live in a family with five people. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Because it's, a, it's such a different thing, you know? And I think that's... I, I'm going to look up that Gloria Steiner piece just to talk about it because I think... I never thought about that. Because in my work, what I always try and do, and you're right, it is about providing that dopamine experience. I try and as much as possible through this. I mean, that's what I had. That's all I had to deal with over the year. How do you build that connection? How do you... How do you let somebody know that I see you? I wish I could be, I would much rather be right there with you. But since, but since I can't, like, I'm just going to take advantage of what I can do in this little space right here, knowing that it's so different, you know? Um, we brought our interns into the office last Monday, the first day of the internship. And on fr- Thursday, when they're their last day for the week, you know, we did a closeout. And it was just really great watching them and hearing them talk about man, I'm so glad I'm here with, with you all, right? Like, you know, I'm glad we got to meet on Monday in person, but I'm glad to be here right now. And just having them understand the difference that is is different. As much as we try and recreate it, right? And that's why we knew that teachers this year were struggling themselves, right? Trying to build connection through this two-dimensional, I guess, is that even one dimension? I don't even know what a, a flat panel is. Is that one dimension, right? I don't even know what it is. I probably should know. I guess it's two dimensions, X and Y, right? If I could do it like that, right? I'm a math teacher. <laughs> but it definitely is a different kind of connection, you know? And um, yeah, yeah. 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 Would, would, you, would you willing to speak about the question mark? Because I really oh, think, yeah. I think on the back, you know, um, I have done a lot of things on the back differently where I've written like a bunch of blank lines. Cause I, there were so many things I would have fear of that. I was just like, was like, I don't know which one to put right now. Like so many things are creating tension and fear and worry, you know? Um, but I think that, that one, I've never, I, I, that was one that stood out to me when, when, mm-hmm. like, on the back of yours. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I was, like I said, I talked with my partner for a, a while about what to include in the mask and like, the thing that kept coming back to me is like, there are probably things that I don't almost don't even know about myself that actually sometimes may be more evident to other people. Um, and that the things on the back of the mask in that sense are like almost the things that I am unable or unwilling to see in myself. Um, it made me think about, I don't know, do you know about the, I, I drew myself a diagram in case you asked about it. Do you know about the Johari window? Have you heard about this? This is the Johari Wait window. Wait, yes. Yeah, so somebody somebody sent me a postcard with that written on it. They sent me one. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Because yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. it memorized. So it's, it's four quadrants. And so for okay. folks who are just listening and aren't watching the video here, it's four quadrants. You know, this up on the top axis, it says known to me, unknown okay. to me. All right. And then on the left axis here, it's known to others, unknown to others. And so it creates like a matrix, right? So the first square is things that are known to me and known to you, right? Like that I'm a Um, smart guy. I'm a pretty, pretty well-spoken things that we all know. Uh, Things that are known to me, but unknown to others, that's sort of the back of the mask, basically, right? Those um, are the things that I know, but I don't want anyone else to know, or I prefer not to share. Okay. The unknown to me and unknown to others, that's like just, that's, that's the great wide open. That's the things that we have yet to discover. The part that scares the shit out of me is this quadrant here, the unknown to me, but known to others. That's the place where I, 
I, the, that hidden area of my own, you know, and we all have that, right? It's like everyone in the room can see it, but you, you know, Ashanti, like everyone knows this is going on with you, but you haven't figured it out yet. Um, those are the, the parts of myself that I'm, I'm often most concerned about because when you don't know about it, you can't manage it. You can't process it. You can't control it. Um, and it's going to come out in ways that you aren't prepared for. Right. And so that's what that question mark is. It's like the whole hidden covered part of myself that I haven't yet uncovered, but that it has, that is sort of when the mask slips off the things that other people are seeing that I don't even realize. When you said that part about that quadrant over there, known to me, not known to me, but known to others, I think that is when I felt the most, and, and, and maybe if you don't think about it, not known to me, but like I uh, don't put a lot of attention towards it. Like when students, I'm trying to think of one of the ones that, because students are really good at like calling adults out right when well, especially students yeah. right so they're not you're not your personal kids right they can call you out i remember a student like calling me out on what did they call me out on they they were like you like how do how did, how did it happen i remember i'm trying to think of like it happened several times but i'm thinking one in particular what did she say to me she said you always get mad when people don't what did she say <laughs> like because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm a math teacher. So, you know, some kids hate math, some people love math, but they, they would be in groups, right? She was like, because uh, when they work in groups, they're responsible for their group mates. And I remember some students saying something like to me, like, you always get mad when people um, don't like help their group, but you don't help the groups. Mm. Right now, I'm in my mind subconsciously. I'm not helping the groups because I want the groups to help themselves. And I remember like feeling like, wait, wait, what is it? Say that again. Say that again. You, she just called. She called me out on that. And I remember it feeling like this moment, like unknown to me, that they were watching me. Like they they were watching me. They were paying attention. Like I'm not really helping the groups purposely, and maybe sometimes subconsciously, but mostly purposely not helping. I want them to help them. Like, you're the teacher. We're not the teacher. You're supposed to be helping the people. And I remember just feeling those moments where you felt like she, like you're you're letting my secret out of the bag, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't want, is it unknown to me? I'm, I got I to, gotta, I'm going to marinate that one a little bit more. But I remember that it's a moment where you feel like, oh, wait a minute. Are you, uh, hmm, am I doing that? Am I yeah. am I doing like that intentionally? Or am I doing it unintentionally? Um, mm, that that one that was gonna that one's gonna sit with me for the weekend. I, I think thank you for sharing that with me. I have seen it before. I don't have it committed to memory, but I am gonna commit it to memory now. Yeah, yeah, it's one that that has it's a useful tool for myself too because I'm just thinking about you know if you think of those the axes as being movable, like then you can mm-hmm. change the size of the of the quadrants, right? So like the more you learn about yourself, the more the known to me space grows, right? And the more that you're willing to kind of be vulnerable and share about yourself, the more that known to others space grows and you can, you can open the the window basically is kind of to extend the metaphor, Uh, right? You can open that window up. 
So it's, it's a useful tool and things like creating that sort of visual representation kind of, you know, metaphors are powerful, right? The mask is a powerful metaphor and yeah. this window is a powerful metaphor because it helps you sort of put a um, tangible thing on this intangible idea that you can then start to manipulate and, and figure out how to deal with. Right. So I've, I've always loved that. Um, it's one of those things that I come back to a lot yeah. um, in my kind of facilitation with, with others and, um, but the, you know, it's still not knowing that's the, the part that is scary. And I think a lot of the stuff that ended up kind of on the, on the back of the mask there is like, you know, and this is, I'm sure true of your other guests and other folks that do masks, but it's like, there's, there's fear associated with the things that you don't let other people see. Um, and the fear comes from like, if I do let people see this part of me, like, what happens, right? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to be repulsed by that? You know, and and that am I going to lose those connections um, that that I care so much about? That's right. Um, because of you know revealing something that I am ashamed of or embarrassed of or whatever. And so that's yeah, that's why the, that's what the question mark is about. Um, thank you for asking about it. Yeah. Oh man, I'm glad. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you. This is actually really great. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some writing on this this weekend. I'm gonna do some, some writing as, and I think like as you move it, like who do you, who do you have a larger first quad? If I think about quadrants, right? That's the first quadrant there. Who do I have a larger quadrant there where mm-hmm. known to me, known to them, right? And then who do I have a for much smaller known to me, known to them? And so yeah, I. And, it, and that's mathematical too. So my brain is already like starting to try and <laughs> try to create a graphical model for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Man, thank you, thank you, thank you, man, thank you, thank, thank you for being on the show today, dude. Yeah, the time flew by. It 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 does that, and I didn't even realize we had already hit an hour. Like that that went so fast. And um, thank you for like shaking it up this week. Thank you for, I, I, I who who would have known? I was like, we we, we just do we that's too fast. We, we, the the moment, I thought it was gonna be all different. So and it was actually really beautiful. I really it was, enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like we just scratched the surface. So I'd be happy to come back and continue the conversation anytime, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. I think this is just a start. And so maybe uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell that young man who I know is of at Davis to reach out to you as he starts looking for jobs and internships and stuff like that. And yes. I think he's, a, he's about to be a junior next year. So I think yes. it'll be a good time. I'll to just give my quick plug, too, for career services. You know, the, um, we know from the data that the people who benefit the most from guidance and support in their career planning are the ones least likely to just walk in the door of the career center, right? Um, so we are always find, trying to find ways to, to kind of reach out and to bridge that gap, you know, because it's an equity issue. It's a social justice issue um, that the, the support mechanisms that are going to help with, you know, uh, economic uh, mobility and um, that are going to help people lift up their communities, um, they don't, you know, they don't get accessed by, by the folks who are going to need them the most, mostly because we, you know, we come, we traditionally have been in a model where, you know, it was a self-service kind of a thing. Like you have to know about it in order to know that you might benefit from it. Um, 
and we're trying to shift that model um, on our campus. We're really making concerted efforts to directly reach out and reach in to the communities where we know that um, students would benefit from from getting direct access to our to our services. So, you know, yeah, anyone anyone who's listening uh, who is on a college campus, you have already paid for the career center that is on your campus. You should go take advantage of it. Uh, because it's the last time in your life that you're going to have access to career services like that without paying a huge premium for them. That's right. And as a person who totally benefited from career services, spent a lot of time in those buildings and on binders and the job binders, like they're, (laughs) and probably they're more digital now than they were (laughs) when they were back. Oh my God, that's hilarious! That's hilarious. He's like, "What binders? We have no binders." <laughs> <laughs> so, for somebody who benefited from the services, I highly encourage you to check it out. There's some amazing jobs out there. You will never find out about it. I remember after the Disney job I got, I put I hooked up three or four friends to then, and they came after me when I left Florida. They came to Florida, so just let you know that there's some great opportunities out there. So yes. that you would never would have thought about. I never would have thought about applying to Walt Disney Imagineering, you know? So, right. uh, so thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thanks for being on the show. So good to see you again. Yes. You and, too, Shanti. Thank you for the work you're doing. And I'm really excited, you know, and maybe there's a student from Davis who is out there where, how do they find that they just go to career, say, say the name of the program again. It's the internship and career center. So it's icc.ucdavis.edu. Boom. There you go. We're gonna put that link in the in the in the show notes so that sure. they can come and come and say hello. Sounds Thank good. you. We appreciate you so much, man. Right. Have a great Independence Day weekend. We're here right before Independence Day weekend. Have a great Independence Day weekend, and uh, we're in the second half of 2021. Imagine that. Who'd have thought? Right. Already. So already here. So mm-hmm. hope you get to get outside in Davis this weekend. Enjoy and meet <laughs> yeah, some thanks. and build the community that you want to build. And I, I appreciate you, man. I look forward to staying in touch. Appreciate you. If what you heard today, you enjoyed, if you've listened to this and you found something inspiring, please like and subscribe to this podcast. That's the best way for someone to uh, find this podcast, maybe like you did. Um, Please tell someone about it. If you know, listen to some of our previous episodes, and if one of them rings out to you, please share it with somebody you know. Um, We also invite people to join us in a face-to-face where they come together with another person to make a mask and talk about that mask together. There's short conversations, about 20, 30 minutes. So if that's something that's interesting to you, please uh, send us a message, send us in the comments below, let us know that you're interested in that. And we look forward to you joining the movement of the Million Mask Movement. And check out our new shirt. I don't know if you can, you can, if you can see it, but this is our new shirt, the Million Mask Movement. And so uh, we'll have these soon available, uh, but we look forward to you being a part of the movement and supporting our work. Uh, please consider supporting the work that we do in Ever Forward and in the work that we do in the Million Mask Movement to let people around the world realize that they're not alone. Thank you.